Let's go. Okay, we are now uh, we are now uh, semi live on the Poptimist <laughs> podcast with Brian Zach, drummer. Uh, what 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 are your other titles? Gosh, I, drummer definitely. Um, I've been a musical director. I I do arranging. I record. I do sessions. You know, both on Music Row and uh, remotely from home. Um, drum teacher. You know. Uh, I don't know what else, you know, blogger, I guess. Blogger, yes. yeah, that's, which is yeah. one of, well, the reason why I'm uh, having you on today, I yeah. saw that post that you made about, uh, about chops, um, can you, can you t- talk a little bit about that, that post and maybe where people can, can find you at, like your Facebook, Instagram, like all okay. your social media? Okay, yeah, um, that's, so, I'm very easy to find, you can just look up my name, Brian Zach, on any of those platforms. Um, my last name is spelled C-Z-A-C-H, so it's Brian, B-R-I-A-N-C-Z-A-C-H, dot com, and Facebook, Brian Zach, Instagram, at Brian Zach, Twitter, at Brian Zach, pretty simple. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Uh, You know, set up purposely that way. Um, as far as the blog, um, the blog is part of my website, so if you want to read that, it's uh, www.brianzach.com, and, um... The specific blog that you're referring to about chops, I wrote as uh, I wouldn't say it's a rant, but it's a it's a, a sort of commentary <laughs> on something that I saw online. It's some it's kind of a a trend that I'm seeing online where hey man, you know, drummers typically, you know are like, hey man, I got this new chop I want to show you, you know, and they'll put on some like YouTube video or something. And it's really all about just like learning a a lick that's like preconceived. And I mean, while that's all fine and dandy, we all have our own licks, we all have things that we have that are go-to as far as something that's in our playing, that's in our vocabulary that we can count on at any given moment. Um, Really the you know, you have to, well, you should ask yourself, and I think you should ask yourself, you know, is what I'm playing appropriate for the music? Shouldn't I be reacting to what I'm hearing and to what's around me going on in the music instead of, like, just sort of, you know, regurgitating these licks and forcing them upon the music that I'm playing? Isn't it better to sort of be in a reactionary position where you're listening to what's happening around you and play something that's more appropriate based upon what you're hearing or not hearing, you know? Yeah. Um, it, you know, so it runs kind of deep conceptually like that, you know? And, and, and it, you know, further on in the blog, I offer, like, ideas on how maybe you might want to go about thinking in those terms. Um, so, you know, it's not... It, it, like we talked about before we turned the recorder on, it's, you know, it's not a, a full-on rant. It's more of a uh, sort of suggestion as, here, you know, maybe maybe think about it like this. Instead of being so, you know, this is what I'm going to play and I don't care what else is going on. I learned this lick and I'm going to play it no matter that's, what. That's I, fear-based you know, playing, I feel like. Fear-based playing. Well, yeah, that's, I never heard that term, but yeah, yeah. that's true. I, I mean, yeah, you're right. It's, it's a fear of, you know, letting go and just allowing yourself to just, you know, be a conduit for whatever is appropriate to play, you know? I mean, it's taking your ego out of it, you know? Really, that's, which is difficult for musicians. Oh, yeah. I mean, it's a constantly a struggle. Constantly, you know? I mean, we... And, you know, we all want to play the cool lick that we just learned, you know, in the practice room on our gig tonight, you know? But, like, it's, it's really best to ask yourself, is that really appropriate for the music that you're playing? You know, that giant, huge two-bar drum fill that's, you know has quintuplets and double bass and you know maybe your wedding band doesn't quite need you know like in in the middle of brick house or whatever you know like it just doesn't quite fit exactly you know i mean 
I'm all for chops and chopping out and like I love drummers that do that, you know. I mean my whole, you know, since I was a boy, I always loved Dave Weckl and Vinnie Caliuta and Steve Gadd and these guys, you know, they these guys are great, you know. They have so much like to say on the instrument and so much technical masters. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And so, you know, I'm inspired by that, but only when it's in the right setting, you know. I mean, yeah, if you're playing a Tom Petty cover, <laughs> like, you know, that just probably isn't going to work, you know? Like, well, the thing that I really um that I really liked about your blog post was that uh it, it reminded me something of of uh that a good music teacher would tell you. Yeah. It seemed like the truth, like when someone would take you off to the side and be like, "Hey, That's I hear what you're doing on stage." Don't do that. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Yeah. I, well, I like I like that you you read into it that way. I mean, I like that you're you're getting that from the blog because, um, you know, that's part of the reason why I wanted to start the blog in the first place is just to put out energy that, you know, hey, like um, I enjoy teaching. I enjoy the educational aspect of music. Um, I've been fortunate enough throughout my life to have great teachers show me many, many things and, um, you know, there comes a time where it's, it's great to give back and to be able to put that out, you know, and, and share the knowledge that I've been so blessed to have, you know, and so, um, you know, I, I, I love teaching, I love the whole, you know, student-teacher relationship and especially like from one pro musician to another pro musician where again there's no ego involved it's not like I'm better than you and I'm I'm the master and you're the you know it's not like that it's just you know two people sharing ideas and um, you know uh, just being able to um, gosh I, you know just just share the, the the knowledge that I've gathered throughout the years. Yes, I've been doing the experience. This a long time. Yeah, I mean, I've you know I've been playing, you know, live gigs since I was eleven years old with my family. You know, my family had a band way back, you know, uh, in the eighties, <laughs> yeah, and, and prior even um, before I joined up with them. But um, you know, what kind of music was it? Uh, it was uh, like. Wed, uh, well, it was a wedding band, but it was like a lot of polkas, waltzes, um, dance music. You know, are you from the Midwest? I'm not. I'm from upstate New York. Okay. Yeah, and so at the time there was, you know, quite a market for that uh, kind of music. Um, you know, on a lot of little clubs and restaurants and festivals, and we used to play state fairs and. You know, anniversary parties and... So you grew up in a very musical oh, yeah. family. Yeah, I did. Yeah. So, it, you know, having that as my background, you know, I got a really early start uh, playing and, you know, just gigging, being a, a working musician. And so I feel like I had an advantage, you know, uh, over so many who do this for a living. You know what I mean? Yeah. Maybe start at a later age. So, for sure. You know, it's, it's, it's nice to... You know, I'm I'm very fortunate that I was in that situation, and uh, you know, very thankful to my family for allowing me to, <laughs> you know, uh, they they put up with a lot. I'm sure. <laughs> yeah. You know, who knows what? But I mean, you know, they were very constructive about it and very supportive. So that you know, it was, it was important. To so is it everybody in your family? Like both your parents? Did you have siblings in the band? Um, not siblings, but um, I do have a, a younger sister, but she was not in the band. Um, as far as the band, my father played bass and piano in the band. Um, my uncle led the band, played accordion. Um, his wife at the time played trumpet and sang. Uh, my grandfather played, let's see, fiddle, clarinet, and sax. So it, it went back two generations. That's a lot of collective you know. experience that you got to play with. Yeah, yeah, it was great. You know, like I said, I mean, it was just so constructive and just so, I mean, just learning on the job, you know, is the best way. Oh, you know, trial and, by fire, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, you can you can only learn so much in a classroom before you have to start, you know, you're on stage and maybe you, you know, 
stuff is going wrong or you can't hear or the monitor's out or, you know, you One never of know. 10,000 yeah. things that happen. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. You know, just, so, you know, or even just like simple stuff like setting up your gear and, you know, having a working, you know, relationship with your gear and, and just, you know, setting up, tearing down, you know, having cases for this, that, and the other, being able to load in up the stairwell, up the fire escape, you know, I mean, you know, in the middle of winter or something, you know, it's yeah. just stuff like that. There's just, you know, that you, you'll never learn in a classroom. You know, you have to, you have to be out there gigging to, you know, to survive that stuff and to know how to navigate the world like that. To build a utility belt. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, it's great. Yeah. So, um, as far as teachers go, it sounds like you, you had like a lot of teachers growing up that maybe laid the truth on you at, at, pretty crucial or important times was there was there any one particular event that you can remember um where you just totally ate shit and crashed and burned and someone went up to you afterwards and they're like hey don't do that again oh gosh like well i'm sure there are many moments like that um i'm trying to think of something specific like you ask um i mean i can remember times where like i I was playing in a uh, sort of, uh, it was sort of an extracurricular uh, big band uh, activity. It was kind of, I was thinking I was in high school at the time, and um, after school, my father and I would drive uh, to this, uh, it's, it's called the College of St. Rose, which is located in Albany, New York, and uh, I think it was every Thursday we had a big band rehearsal, and it was... Um, a combination of some of the college students that were at the College of St. Rose and also some high school students. You know, it was some of the high school students who were, you know, sort of gifted in the area regionally and, and were allowed in to play. And I think I think one concert, I forgot my music. Oh, no. You know, and it was like one of those moments where you just, you know, your heart sinks and you're like, oh, no. Like, you know... And we lived far enough away, you know, it was like a 45-minute drive or something like yeah. that, so it was like impossible to, to, to get the music, you know, before the show, uh, for the concert, I should say. And so, um, I remember talking to the band director, whose name I still remember, his name is Paul Ivaskovich, and I'm sure... What I'm, a great band director it, name! Right! <laughs> no, he was great, though, great sax player, and, and, and you know... Again, like, very supportive, what a great teacher and just mentor and, you know, somebody you could really look up to for answers. But I remember him telling me, well, I remember telling him, hey, I I forgot my music, you know, tail between my legs kind of thing. And he just looked at me and was like, oh, no. And then he said, well, you're just going to have to, you know, play by ear, you know. I mean, just do the best you can. And it was like, okay. Yeah, I'll do that, you know, and then, so we played the concert, um, I think it went fairly well, I'm sure that it wasn't perfect, but, um, I remember speaking to him after the concert, and he, he, he said to me, you know, it was one of the better times I've heard you play, because instead of you reading the music so much, you were just listening. And In the moment. Really, yeah, and so it was... That was kind of a real, uh, you know, light bulb moment for me. It was like, oh, hang on, okay, that's cool. That was cool to hear, you know. So maybe I should forget my music all the time. No, <laughs> no, no. But the, you know, the whole thing of like, oh, that whole listening thing. Yeah, that's that's important, you know. The most important, I think, when playing playing music. Yeah, and for him to say like that was one of the better times I've ever heard you play. It's like. Oh, okay. So you were, what, 16, 17? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, would have been, yeah. Mm-hmm. So that was that was a cool experience. I mean, I don't think that was quite what you were asking for. No, that's, that's, of, a, that's a great example. For some reason that popped into my mind. I don't know. I'm trying to think of something else where I just kind of crashed and burned. Um, I mean, there's never been really any moment where, like, I felt like I crashed and burned sure. so much as just, like... Maybe I, I didn't play so well, but always I was being encouraged. Like, you know, you're a great player, Brian, or you have great instincts and just keep working at it, you know, keep... Which is important for a young musician. Yeah, because, you know, 
no one wants to get beat down. And if you do get beat down, you're going to be, you're going to get discouraged. You yeah. Know what I mean, um, I think that's true for anything, you know, whether you're music or sports or whatever. It's like, um, I, th I think, you know, it's, it's good to be critical, but, but in a constructive way, you know, if you are a teacher out there, you know, giving lessons or in a scholastic environment or something like that, I think it's great to, you know, yes, you, you need to be, you, you, you know, you need to apply discipline and, and critique, but not in a, in a harmful way, you know. In, uh, in Effortless Mastery, there's a part where Kenny Warner, is that, am I saying his name right? Is it Warner or Werner? I believe it's Werner. Okay. Yeah. I mean, uh, it depends if you're German or not. Yeah. <laughs> but he was, uh, he was talking about how he would, he would be giving clinics and be talking about the fear-based playing and constructive criticism and everything yeah. like that. And he said even teachers would come up to him afterward be like, hey, I never thought about it that way before. I never thought of talking to my students that way before. So I just thought that was that was kind of interesting. Um, yeah. A lot of the things that I feel like you've been kind of talking about really remind me of of that book, which is getting out of your own way. Oh gosh! And allowing things to just free up and let go and open yourself up and become the vessel. Yeah. That we are as musicians. Yeah, yeah. I mean, so much of being a musician, and especially a musician who improvises, um, you know, you're you're putting your soul out to bear and. and in a way, and when when you when you play and you improvise like that in front of an audience, and so it's common to be in the moment and be questioning what you're playing and is this okay? Is this am I doing well? You know, did that just suck? You know, that little man, that little critique, that little uh, critic rather on your shoulder, you know, going, oh, you suck. Oh, oh, that lick you just played, that sucked. Or, or you know, you're, oh, you're dragging, you're slowing down. Or, you, you know, it, just, it could be anything. And it makes know? it worse. Oh, it is such a, it's such a spiral. <laughs> you can really, you know, find yourself in a, in a, you know, just a downward spiral with that, you know, with that little critic on your shoulder because we all just want to get rid of him, just brush him off because, you know, if you're able to do that, if you're able to just live in the moment, like you speak of, and just you know be a conduit, it's just it just it's just gonna flow out of you, and you're not critiquing yourself along the way. At least you shouldn't be. You know, you should you should should strive to to you know find that in your playing to 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 be able to do that every time you sit down to play, no matter what your instrument is. You know, strive to to just to just play and play what you hear. Don't be con so concerned with, um, you know, how it's being perceived. You know what I mean? Um, how do you do that? What are some, what are some things that you do in order to try and get rid of that critic? Well, um, I think confidence has a lot to do with it. And so I try to do things that, boost my confidence in my playing. So, for instance, um, I try to warm up. I have a warm-up routine that I use pretty daily, you know, unless, of course, I'm just taking the day off and I'm not even going to look at the drum set. But for the most part, every day, I'm going to sit down at the drum set and, and do a proper warm-up. And it's a set routine that I have. Um, and I find that this warm-up Obviously, it warms your hands and muscles up, and sure. you know that's part of it. But also, it puts me in a frame of mind of like, what you know, maybe I have a gig later that day, or or even just a rehearsal or whatever I might have. It gives me confidence that, oh, I, I can play. I my I feel confident in my abilities to, you know, to execute the ideas that I'm hearing in my head. Okay, so that's that's one way of, um, you know, getting in that moment where, like, at least I'm getting rid of, like, those thoughts of, like, shoot, am I good enough? Or, you know, w w you know, will my talent be enough? Or, w you know, have I worked hard enough? Or, you know, I would say 
just as a as an alternative, uh, uh, not an alternative, but as a, a in addition to that, I might say like do your homework. Um, so if you're on a gig, let's say you're on a like a singer songwriter gig, and you're playing a bunch of original songs, you familiarize yourself with the music as much as you can. You know, um, write out charts if you have to. I do all the time. I I you know because it helps me not only to memorize the music when I when I write it out, it helps me to memorize it, but also, you know, I'll have that on stage with me to refer to. And again, confidence. It gives me confidence in, to know, oh, I know this music. I, you know, I've done my homework. I, you know, I'm in control here. And it allows me to just relax and just play and just play what you feel, you know, and you know, play the, whatever mood that, that that music is. You know, maybe it's aggressive or maybe it's a love song and it's del delicate and softer. You know, whatever. You can tune is, into the know. emotion of the music better. Exactly. You can tap into that much more easily um, instead of, again, having that little guy on your shoulder going, oh, you suck. You're, you know, am I playing too fast? Or is this the right tempo? Or, you know, all these things that are just sort of like, you know, question marks all the time. You know, you're, you're getting rid of the all the extraneous thoughts so that you're just able to focus in on what's important. To tune in. Mm -hmm. Tune into the frequency. And that's what I think the beauty is of playing in a, in a band and playing musicians all live in a, in a room together is when you all tune into that same frequency and everyone hits that, that point to where you all become one thing. Yeah, it becomes a, a living and breathing thing. And yeah. before I moved to Nashville, I I never really had listened to them much. But but the Almond Brothers, I feel like their music they have a lot of emotion, and they were just sure. tuned into the same frequency with each yeah. other. It might have been the Mushrooms, but <laughs> I could have something to do with it. Yeah. But they yeah. they play, and truthfully, like the the drums and the bass and everything, it's it's kind of. S simple, but it's also, it's just all feeling, it's all emotion yeah. in their playing. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Um, uh, you know, it, and that's a good example because, you know, correct me if I'm wrong, I mean, I think a lot of those guys in, in the Allman Brothers band that weren't necessarily quote-unquote, educated musicians. Right? Yeah, they, sure. They didn't go to music college and sure, study, yeah. you know, all the, the techniques and whatnot. I mean, they're primarily self-taught. And so they really are relying on their emotion and, and, you know, their instincts more than maybe a schooled musician who, you know, Spent be, hours studying. Yeah, yeah, just worried about technique and yeah. the, you know the, all the stuff you know. So, and, and, and I'm not trying to you know uh, degrade going to school for music. I mean, obviously, yeah. I mean, I went to school for music, and I, I you know I'm much better for it. But um, what school did you go to? Oh, uh, Ithaca College School of Music. Oh, okay. Yeah, upstate New York. I studied with Gordon Stout, uh, world-renowned marimba player. Um, I'm not a marimba player, <laughs> although I, I did play when I was in college, and that was a requirement, and um, I will say that I enjoyed playing marimba, um, but I wasn't very good at it. <laughs> Certainly not like like I took to the drum set very naturally. It was, it was you know, it was struggle all the way, um, but I did enjoy, I just enjoy the sound of a marimba, you know, and so... So, but I did all the orchestral, you know, I got a, basically an orchestral degree there at the, at the college, played in, in all the orchestras and the wind ensemble and percussion ensemble and this, that ensemble, all the other, you know, uh, which was great, you know, because you're playing timpani and, you know, all the, all the, instruments. the whole battery yeah. of percussion that exists out there, you know, crash cymbals and mallet parts and what have you. What kind of disciplines did you pick up? in college? Um, well, it definitely um, promotes the whole practice, you know, schedule. You know, you, it, you put yourself on a practice schedule. Um, and 
that's more because you see, you know, your your classmates and your peers doing that, and you go, you know, even if you don't want to practice, you, you're seeing them do it, and you're like, oh, I should be doing this too, you know. So there's a little bit of pressure, you know, that you put on yourself just because of the environment that you're in. Um, you know, it's just, it's a very, it's great because it's a very safe environment, college is, you know, so, and by that I mean, you know, you're not worried, you know, you're not worried about getting fired, you know, off the gig, because, you know, you got rent to pay, and the, you know what I mean, like mm -hmm. it's, you know, if you make a mistake, it's okay, you know, that's, that's why you're there, is to learn, you know, and so, um, that's what I mean by safe, you know, because if you're not, you know, if you're playing in a band and you're paying your rent and then you get fired from that band, well, now you, how are you going to pay your rent? You yeah. Know, that's not a safe environment. <laughs> you know. And that, that leads to fear-based playing. It could. Yeah. Yeah. Um, among other things. <laughs> mm -hmm. But, yeah. Um, you know, it, and then in college, I mean, like, you're just learning so much from <clears throat> all your friends and... I mean, obviously, your professors in the classes that you're in, but, like, I remember, you know, like, I never did marching band. Like, you know, a lot of drummers do marching band. Um, so I remember I remember sitting out, you know, in, like, in the hallway uh, with my friends, and some of them who had done marching, and so we'd sit there with a drum pad and just sit there and show each other licks and stuff. And so I learned a few, like, marching stuff, you know, moves and, like, some of the stick tricks that they do and that kind of thing. Cross-pollination. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, where you're just like, oh, wow, that's cool. Like, you know, I've never, you know, I've always wondered how they do that, you know, the whole, like, you know, trolling sticks and, uh, uh, you know, that's just one example, I mean, where you're just learning. I remember, uh, you know, there was a, a grad student, um, there was attending school there, and he was... He was big time into Jack Dejanet and the Gateway Trio, the ECM, uh, and like, you know, so he was really big into Jack and like just learning how to play that sort of, you know, you know, just trying to get as much from Jack as he could, and we all were, but I mean, he was really focused in on it at that time. And that was really inspiring to see, um, you know, how he, how he went about his practice and I remember the groups that he was playing with and stuff. So, uh, how he was driven to, you know, by that and it, it inspired me, you know, and then of course, you know, you're having, you have your professors. I mean, just, you know, once a week you're having your lesson. I mean, I remember studying with Gordon and like, you know, I mentioned marimba you know, and a lot of our lessons were were on the marimba, but really what you were learning was music. You weren't learning just the marimba. I mean, if you were smart, you, you could apply these same ideas and concepts and principles to any instrument, you know. Obviously, I'm a drum set player, and so when, when Gordon would talk to me about phrasing and playing, you know, shaping a phrase in the music, you know, that's easily applied to the drum set. Why not? You know, um, so those are, you know, it, those were great lessons, you know, I mean, just, uh, I look back, you know, with a lot of fondness, if that's a word, you know, I'm very fond of those, of those years, you know, very formative. And it was great because, I mean, like, it allowed me to, to really focus on my playing. I mean, so much so that, like, I lived on campus, I didn't even own a TV. Like, people were into Seinfeld, and like, you know, this was, this was, would have been like 94, to, I graduated in 98, so 94 90 to 98, you know, so this is right around that, those, those years with Seinfeld. Was that his all-time high? Yeah. You know, I, yeah, exactly, yeah, and so, you know, to this day, people will, like, reference Seinfeld episodes, and I'll just be like, Clueless, like I haven't, I haven't seen You were busy show. drumming. I was, you, exactly. you were practicing. I was Dude, so respect. focused. You know, respect. I, and I was, I mean, in a way, I was probably a jazz snob, but it's paid off because, you know, later on, you know, I mean, I feel really confident in my jazz playing. I have a, I have a really wonderful uh, 
background in jazz. But that's just because I spent so, you know, those formative years, you know, basically four years of, of really honing in on, like, learning how to play, like, Elvin and, you know, Art Blakey and Tony Williams and all the, all the you know, all the jazz greats. You know, and just, just, you know, in the practice room, playing the records and listening and playing the records again and then playing with the ensembles and playing with my own groups that, you know, with friends of mine, doing gigs at night and, you know, um, and then I'd come back to my, to my dorm room and I had my big component stereo, you know, speaker system and it, it was just record, I would fall asleep to, you know, Coltrane records and Miles records and, you know, because that was, that was it for me, you know, I didn't care about what was on ESPN. I didn't give one crap about it, you know. But, you know, later on, you know, I, I bought a TV. <laughs> you know, I, I entered the, the, you know, the real world again, you know, after school, you know, uh, I didn't, you know, I didn't continue that. Um, but I didn't feel like I need to. I, you know, now I can, you know, I have that to draw upon now where, you know, because I worked so hard. You invested your time up front in, yeah. what, in what you wanted to do. Yeah. I mean, I, you know, I really worked hard. <laughs> you, know, it was, you know, when I look back, I go, wow. Because I really didn't set out purposely to do, I didn't tell myself, I'm not going to buy a TV because I want to focus on playing the drums the best way that I... You did I, it because you love it. It's it. Yeah. Exactly. And I, I just didn't need a TV. I didn't... Actually, I didn't have one when I got to college, and I figured, well, I don't really need one. I, I didn't, It didn't even really cross my mind. Like, it just wasn't even like a thing. Why well, do I need a TV? I can just go practice. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, you know, that was just how it was, you know? But Well, it's, it's funny you say that because it's... Today, I... I I almost feel like young musicians are at an extreme disadvantage because there are so oh, many distractions. Yes. It is oh. hard to just turn oh. everything off, shut it off. You have to. You have to. Yeah. You're, I mean, if you're, if you're really serious about it, yeah, you got to put your phone on airplane mode. Yes. Yes, I do that. And whenever, whenever I actually... Basically, these days, I work two jobs, okay. and I also have a podcast, yeah. and then I play bass. Okay. Um, but whenever I actually sit down, when I have, I find the time to practice, I sit down, I turn my phone on airplane mode, I write everything out. Like, brave of you. Yeah. <laughs> I, and it's it's hard. It's super hard to be okay. to be able to do that because yep. the emails are always coming in. Oh, yeah. There's always someone texting you. Yes. Another phone call. Another Facebook message. A blah, Facebook. Blah, 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 yes. Right. Exactly. Or, or you know you're getting the updates from the last Instagram post and it's like oh so, so such and such likes blah 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 yeah. Uh, you know, or they comment, and you got feel now you feel the need to comment back. You know, yeah. but you're in the middle of something. You know, it's going to be there later. It is going to be there later, and you know, yeah, exactly. It's not an immediate thing. You know, maybe you know, unless it's work. You know, I mean, there is that. I mean, yeah, sure. You know, there are times when you get a text, and it's like, hey, you know, can you play tonight at six p.m.? <laughs> you know, and it's yeah. three o'clock. You know, yeah, yeah. It's like you know, now or never kind of thing. You know, it, but that's that's rare. You know, unless you're doing that all the time. You know, um, it's it's really important to turn off the the distractions. And, and I'm so glad. I mean, if I were a student today, I don't know if I'd be able to do it honestly. You know, because I, I, you know, you see the the younger generation. It's like I don't know. I don't know how they do it. You know, or or if they do it. You know, it's like I, I certainly would struggle with that. You know, and I struggle with it to this day. If I want to practice, you know, and I don't get nearly, you know, as much time to practice as I used to, but, you know, if I do get an hour, um, I, occasionally I will, I will turn off my phone. Admittedly, not all the time. Yeah. You know, but, you know, but I have a, you know, I have a son who's in school and, you know. Yeah, so yeah. You don't want to Other isolate yourself too much. Yeah, you know, sure. So there's, you know, if something which were to happen, I would want to, you know, be able to pick up the phone, you know. Yeah. Um, but that's an extreme case, you know, for the most part. Um, yeah, but but if I'm if I'm really in a, in a mode where, like, I need to get this done or I, I really need to focus on my 
you know, whatever it is I'm learning here, I will turn off the phone because, like you say, it's like the distractions are incredible. Turn know? off the phone, turn on the metronome. Yeah. But, I mean, you know, technology, man, it's like, you know, I mean, when I'm home at, at home recording, you know, I use my iPad as a remote control for the computer so I can sit at the drums and control, you know, and hit press record or adjust a level uh -huh. or something. But to do that, you know, the Wi-Fi has to be turned on. Yeah. You know, so... So you get those I notifications still. Yeah, 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 you can't quite, like, you know, it's it's a thing, man. It's, it is. It, uh, struggle you know, is real. The struggle is real. It's, it's so... I just wonder what's going to happen, you know, 20 years from now, because is there going to be people who were in music school and they were distracted... The, those those uh for those five seconds and it just takes you out of it you know yeah. it takes well, you out it. of it constantly yeah I mean I've read articles I guess it's been proven where like you know even if you just stop what you're doing for five seconds and just look at that email quickly and go oh it's nothing okay I don't need that it'll take you like another eight to ten or twelve minutes I don't even know how long but it'll take you another like a while for you to get back to the same amount of focus that you just left to, before you checked that email. You know what I mean? It's yeah. Like, so, you know, just to break whatever state of mind that you're in is not, you know, not very good. No. It's not, uh, you know, conducive to, to getting stuff done, <laughs> you know, in a timely manner. I just wonder what's going to happen, you know. I, I think with as far as songwriting goes, too, I think that's another thing where you have to kind of sit down and you have to be oh, yeah. completely... Oh, yeah just away from whatever oh, it is out in the world. You gosh. can't you can't be taking those phone calls especially no. for that. No. Because you're you're you are that's truly a moment where you are a conduit. Like yeah. as a, as a songwriter, my favorite thing is just to be able to sit down and block everything out and then block out 4 hours and then you're just go like, "Whoa, what just happened? My my life disappeared in those 4 hours. I was just entirely yeah. in the moment in that meditation." Yeah. Yeah, and I don't do that nearly enough. I, it's something I, I want to get more into doing is is writing and composing and you know uh, both musically and, and lyrically and in and, and like like blogging even. I mean even that you know when you're doing a blog, it's like you know you want to keep your your frame of mind you know focused on the subject at hand. You know whatever that is. That's right, that's a thing, man. That's really it's it's a constant struggle, constant. What do you think is gonna is gonna happen next? Like, where do you see young musicians like this generation? Gosh. What's gonna happen ten years from now? I don't know, man. I mean, there's n I have no idea, really. I mean, I certainly didn't see. You know what has happened already coming. You know, I mean, because if I had, I probably wouldn't have even been a music major in, in school. You know, because wow. really, yeah, because I mean, so I, I mean, I'm the wrong person to ask by far. But like, you know, when I look back at like the choices that I made, you know, and and the the focus that I chose, that being percussion and drum performance you know I was always going to do that no matter what you know what I mean it's like there was no other option yeah, yeah like you it. could chop off my right arm and I'm still playing the drum you're going to figure I mean? it out like, yeah. yeah exactly yeah. so that was never going to like change um, so and the purpose of me saying that is like well you know I could have used school for other things like, like maybe studying composition or studying audio engineering or you know studying business, music business, maybe, you know, the whole, that end of it, you know, would have been wise, I think, um, if I were to do it all over again, you know, but, um, you know, it's like, but what's happened with, I mean, sometimes I feel like a dinosaur, like, within this world, and I'm, I know, I'm only 41 years old, you know, <laughs> like, yeah. but it's like, sometimes I hear myself talking, and I sound like, like an old man, like, you know, these kids these days, and, you know, the music, they're, you know, this computer music, and, you know, no, I, like... I 100% agree. I, th I think it's so it's so sad to, to turn on 
turn on the radio and and on uh-huh. the pop station and it not be uh-huh. any actual musicians playing. It's it's yeah. uh, it yeah. lacks any kind of. There's no soul. Yes, there's, there's no, no soul. There's no. There's yeah. nothing. It's just like I. I as a musician and as a true music nerd, I'm a fan of all music. I don't yeah. care what it is. Yeah. You show it to me. I'm going to try and find something about it. As and long as it's done well. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's like, I'll listen to klezmer music if it's done well. You know what I mean? Like, I don't care what it is. But if, you, if, you're, if you're doing a good job of it, you know, I love it. And that's how I approach all the music that I play. And, you know, I'm open to, to playing all styles in that way. Um... But yeah, it's like you turn on the radio and just like, dear Lord, like it's heartbreaking. It's like, how do you listen to this stuff? Well, it was like you the know? the new Taylor Swift song. I I don't necessarily dislike her, but she sampled "Right Said Fred" on it. I, I'm I, wow, I'm too sexy, yeah. And it's well, like, are we at the point now to where the music business is so desperate for ideas? They're they're trying to ring out one hit wonders that. Are from the early '90s of, of a song that. Well, and Red said Fred was crap. Yeah. <laughs> so like, why you know like now we're regurgitating crap for with more crap. You it's know, the like, snake eating itself, and it's just like, yeah. how can we? I can. I guess to a point, there's always been, of course, especially here in Nashville. There, there's a music bit like the business. Yeah. The music business. There is business, which right. is, I understand, right. and I'm not against it because it gives people like us a chance to do what we love, but one of the things that I loved about Effortless Mastery is it said, back in, back in like the 15th century, there was no music business, there was just a guy who was, who was playing the, you know, whatever, Yeah. well, he was just playing the kazoo or something, entertainment, yeah, Yeah. and that's what he did, because he had to express himself, right, so I think music is almost gonna, gonna start going back towards that, I feel like the people who really choose it now, because there's not really, Hmm. and People are going to get really mad. I feel like people get mad when I say this. I, I, it's like you almost don't have a chance for a career today. I don't think that's necessarily a bad thing. I'm, I'm okay with that. Like living in this world where we... Yeah, the money is... I'm 26. The money is gone. Yeah, so I'm, I'm, not, I'm never going to have a, have a chance to like... Who knows? Maybe. But, but Yeah, you never say never. Never say never. But I, I am open to the fact of never making a dime off of music. And being able to to make money off of music, I do it because I love it and I really care about it. Yeah, and that's it's something that's been hard for me to kind of come to grips with is, you know, and, and because I'm you know a bit older than you, sure, let's say by a generation or so. Yeah, you know, um, I I'm old enough to remember the old model. Yes, you for know, sure. That's Absolutely. what I was. That that's what I grew up with, and that's what I was groomed to be part of. Mm-hmm. Okay. It's the mo- almost the moment I got out of school and started my professional life. Napster. That's all gone. Yeah, right? yeah, Napster yeah. came and just blew the whole thing to bits. Yeah. And now here we are, and it's like, this is not what I signed up for. Yeah. And so now I'm looking at it, going, just scratching my head, going, well, how do I make this work? How do I like, you know, I was groomed to be a session musician. You know, I'm a reader. I'm I can play clean. You know, like. I can, you know, play a first take, like, you know, yeah. you know, and it's a trained. Yeah, yeah, very, very trained, very, you know, of that mindset. And, and now it's like, we have Pro Tools, and, well, my mailman could come in and play a take. Yeah. And we could just fix it up, and you're good to go. Yeah. You know what I mean? So, like, everything that I've spent my whole life trying to achieve has really been kind of exploded in a way because it's like the technology anybody can do it now just, yeah I, I feel like it's so it's frustrating it's super frustrating I think there is definitely still a hunger for for the real and people definitely desire it there I feel in even in Nashville I can tell that there there are true musicians musicians here absolutely yeah yeah, I mean, but that's why we're here. You yes, know, because we're of like mind, and you know, we we collaborate that way, and you know, and but this is one of the few places left that are I think that are you know, uh, that that are a mecca of that. Yeah, you know what I mean. Absolutely. Um, obviously, you know, there's a lot of music around the world still happening, both good and bad, but um, as far as like a scene and like a. A vibe and like a, a thing, you know that, you know there used to be a, a thing in San Francisco. You know what I mean? You mm-hmm. had 
Janis Joplin and Tower Power and Santana and Grateful Huey Dead Lewis and Grateful yeah I mean yeah. on and on there was like a thing that was like San Francisco you know that, you know going back before that you know in the in the 40s and the 50s there was bebop in New York City you know that was like a thing there was a scene there you had to move to New York if you're going to play bebop there was one place to go it's New York you know what would you say it is here now the the like the musical yeah I mean, I, I think it's changing because Nashville is growing so quickly and so, you know, kind of abruptly. I think lots of people from all walks of life are moving here, um, myself included, probably you too. Yeah. I mean, you know, and so I think it's obviously, you know, the country music, is, you know, it was founded on country music. Yes. You know what I mean? And so that's without a doubt. But even the country music genre has changed drastically. You know what I mean? Like, they're incorporating hip-hop now in yeah, the country. Yeah, the, the bro country. Yeah, well, well, right, and that's that too, and, you know. Um, you know, so who's to say? But, you know, what's cool is being part of the, the expansion of Nashville, musically speaking. Yeah. We now have a... a, a, a proper dedicated jazz club you know Rudy's Jazz Room opened up earlier this year I didn't know that it's it's jazz seven days a week really yeah, yeah. what part of town is it in? it's on 8th Avenue um I don't know the exact cross street but uh it's right near the cannery okay uh, yeah sort of just just past the circle yeah you know yeah I know yeah. where that is yeah um I'm still new enough to town not to know. <laughs> how long, how long <laughs> have you been here for? Uh, just, it'll be two years this Christmas. Okay. So Ooh, Yeah, that's about how long about, I've been here for. Well, when this maybe comes out, I yeah. don't know what, the, what your time period is for that. But, yeah, about, I, I got here about a week before Christmas last, two years ago. And where did you move from? Las Vegas. Las Vegas. Yes. Very cool. Yes, I Were you playing out there in like a oh, yeah. like a a union band or anything like that? Though unfortunately, those are long gone. Really? Uh, if you're speaking of like the lounge bands, yes, yeah, those are those are a bygone era, you know, uh, along with a lot of other things. But um, <laughs> you know, uh, but yeah, I mean, to answer your question, I was playing in all the casinos. I mean, name a property, I've played it. You know, wow. All the lounges. Um, I was also playing on the show scene quite a bit, uh, both subbing and for a year I was I had a, a show five nights a week of my own that I was playing, and it was great. I mean, it's it's a you know Vegas. It was great for me. I lived there eight years, and um, it it served its purpose for you know for for me. You know what I mean? Like, uh, I needed to go to a place where I could just work like that. And, and that's what it was, you know? Log those hours. You can work seven nights a week there if you want to, you know? And often I was doing that, you know? It, and it was great to just get on stage every day and hone your craft, you know? And whether it's a lounge band or a show or, I mean, I was playing in a, you know, I was, I was subbing for a show called The Rat Pack is Back, so it was a Rat Pack big band show. That's badass. With all the, you know, with all the the arrangements that, you know, that we know so well and that are, you know, so famous. Um, you know, I was I was playing in rock bands and cover bands and R&B I was I was the only white guy in a black R&B band, you know? Like, I mean, you know, you learn a lot through doing that. You know, I started... I started singing from behind the drums, you know, not lead, mind you, but but background vocals, and got really comfortable doing that with multiple ensembles, um, you know. So that was important to me, you know, and really I think up to my value a lot, um, because to this day, you know, if I join up with a singer songwriter or, or you know an artist of some sort and you know, I get hired for my drumming capabilities and then we're in rehearsal and I might casually mention, hey, by the way, you know, I, I, I'm comfortable singing it's on harmonies. The, it's on the resume. And then they're like, what, really? I didn't even know, you know, and yeah. then like, boom, you know, you just upped your value, you know? Yeah. You, I mean, so you never the know. The utility belt. 
Yeah, you know, because you, you could get a gig just because of that. Oh, you know, it's a four-piece, we're playing down on Broadway, we need a drummer who sings. We just need somebody who can add that extra element, you know. You might get hired for that, you know. So, you know, if you can carry a tune, you should, you know, you should work on that. And I think anyone can carry a tune, you know, if, if you just work at it. Yeah. You know, so it's, you know, doing it from behind the drums, well, that's that's a different story. I mean, that's hard. You got to work on it, you know. There's a, uh, you know. Just you and Don Henley, right? Oh, no, I wish. I mean, Don Henley is incredible, I mean, incredible, both as a drummer and a singer. Um, I have so much respect. Some of my favorite drummers are singing drummers. Phil Collins is yeah. one that's just, I just love anything Phil Collins is like, ugh. I think if there's one person in the whole world that I would, if you ask me, like, if there's one person in the whole world that you'd want to sit down and have coffee with, it's Phil Collins. Phil Collins? Yeah. Yeah. I just want to, like, pick that guy's brain and just know how he ticks, you know, because that's, yeah, what a, what a career that guy's had. Yeah. You know, so much respect. So, but yeah, getting back to Vegas, you know, eight years and just trying to, just do everything I could. I mean, I had my own trio, a jazz trio that I led. I had my own cover band. I called it Zack Attack. So it was a four-piece, you know, uh, drums, bass, guitar, keys, and we all sang. And That's cool. You know, it was just a great time, you know. Um, I had a lot of great memories, met, met a lot of great people there. And, um, but, you know, it's like, in Vegas, it's a working town, you know, and for me, somebody who wants to, like I, like I talked about before, I was groomed to be a session guy to play. I want to play on records. That's always been a dream of mine is to play on hit records. And it's just not going to happen in Vegas. And no. you know, it took me a while to realize that, but just like, you know, um, once I, once I became, you know, aware of that fact that like, you know what, it's, that's not really going to happen here. I I had to figure out well where where can I go to make that happen. Nashville. Yeah. Um, so you know I kind of hit the glass ceiling a little bit in Vegas because I felt like you know I was playing like up to like nine shows a week. I mean I, I had multiple drum kits. You know. That's awesome. You know, so I could end this gig. I got a half an hour to run to the next property. Uh -huh. and, you know what I mean? It was just like you know there were nights like that. You know, so. A lot of creative problem solving, I imagine. Well, yeah, I mean, I didn't consider it to be a problem, though. It's work, you know? Yeah. You're glad to be working. Yeah, you know? absolutely, as, especially as a musician in this day and age. Mm -hmm. one, yeah. of my, uh, one of my favorite bands is from Las Vegas, The Killers. Oh, yeah. Are you familiar with them at all? A bit. I yeah. mean, it's not my kind of music, you know? I'm, sure. I'm not, like, a fan of the band or anything, yeah. but I'm, you know, they're on my radar. Yeah, yeah. I'm aware of the fact that they're from Vegas. Yeah, I'm a really, I'm a really big fan of them. That they Growing up, like... So the era that I grew up in, so 2004 is when their first record was released. Okay. And that was around the time that iTunes was taking off. Yes. And Pepsi was running this promotion at the time where on every bottle cap, there was a download code for a free song. Oh, wow. Okay. So I got their first record just from all that because I would just get a, get a Pepsi and then I would download, oh, download wow. a song one at a time. Oh, so, wow. So all the songs were at different bottles of Pepsi or whatever? Well, you, you got this... Um, this uh, the bottle cap, and then it had this code that you enter in. And it was right. one free song. Right, but I'm saying like it wasn't just one song that was available. Like there were like the whole album was available at from uh, various bottles of. Yeah, yeah. So you wow. could, you could get any any song you wanted on, off iTunes. Oh, so that's how iTunes oh, iTunes wow. hooked me. Um, and I see. I've been on iTunes ever since. I mean, I have yeah. I have a vinyl collection. I also um have I used to have a ton of CDs, but I got rid of all those. But I was lucky growing up. I had I had the iTunes thing, but I also had a great record store in, in my home yeah. hometown called Bull Moose. It's like a local chain in New England, okay, uh, northern New England. But um, basically, I, I would go in there and just discover music that way. But yeah, yeah. The, the Killers was a was a big one for me. And then there was like Franz Ferdinand, The Bravery. Okay. Um, there were there were all kind of like the indie rock bands in yeah. in that era. But yeah, it's just it's just funny now how things um, things are so different. <laughs> like, I, I, how do people discover music today? I, I'm guessing YouTube is like the new record store almost. I, I mean, I have no idea. You know, I mean... <sighs> yeah. <laughs> there's so many... I guess there's there's a lot of outlets, and, that, and that's good, I yeah. guess. I mean, there's Spotify and Apple Music and, 
YouTube and, you know, I'm sure there's a bunch of others that I'm not even aware of, but, um, cause there certainly aren't any record stores anymore. No. <laughs> I mean, I mean, they're few and far between. Yeah. I mean, for me, I can only speak of, you know, for me, I mean, I'll be honest, I, um, I discovered a new record not long ago. Of course, you're going to ask me who it is, and I, I can't even tell you the artist's name. But it was it's a young female artist, sort of in the R&B uh, realm. And it was just, I logged on to Apple iTunes. You know, I pay the, the we call it the $10 a month. You For know. Apple Music? Right. Yeah, I have that too. And so it gives you the whole Apple Music at your fingertips, you know. And I just logged on one morning or something, and there was a feature, you know, featuring this young new artist. Mm -hmm. And I have no idea why I clicked on it. Maybe the picture was just striking to me or something. I don't know. Maybe, maybe there was like a small blurb about like the artist or the, the, the music and stuff. So I just ended up clicking on it. Maybe I was just in a mood to, to check out something new. And I ended up really liking it, you know, and... I, I, unfortunately, I can't tell you. I can probably look at my phone right now because it's—I think it's saved to my phone—who the artist is, but I just can't think of the name. Sabrina, or something I want to say. Mm -hmm. But it sort of reminded me of like a modern day Sade. Do you remember Sade? No. Who's who never is heard that? of Sade? No. See? Yeah. There's that general, generational divide. Sade was like a uh, uh, kind of R&B, sort of loungy, cool like artist i mean she had a few hits uh, smooth operator okay yes i you do know that yeah too? i do know yeah okay. i do know i do know that so she had this really great voice it's like i say i you know I, I speak of her in the past tense i'm sure she still sounds great you yeah. know but like i sort of you know grew up with some of her music um you know and there, so, she's a british actor right yeah yeah she, yeah she's i think nigerian originally but yeah. but but yeah her band. Yeah, Smooth Operator. Yeah. What what are some of her the other songs? I definitely know. I definitely I, know. Yeah, she she yeah. had like a couple of yeah. couple of hits. Yeah. Um Is it a crime? I think there's there was one. Uh-huh. Um gosh. There was some great records. Sweetest Taboo. Yeah, in that era know. that kind of sounded that that really that still had playing but also had that cool kind of Well man, if you're a bass player, you should check that stuff out. Yeah. It's like I think his name is Paul Denman. Isn't that funny? I I can remember his name. Because I was into that stuff. Yeah. And, and, and what was so striking to me about her and, and that bass player in particular is how that bass player would come up with these sort of um, uh, repeating motif ideas as a bass line that would work its way all the way through the, the song. Mm -hmm. And it, it could have been just like two notes. Like, like if you think of with the smooth operator, or not smooth, uh, was it? I'm trying to remember the, the name of the tune. Mm -hmm. Sweetest Taboo, I think. Sweet. Yeah. And the drums are like... All feel. Super simple. You know, just... Yeah, but it was just like... It was almost like a, like a salsa pattern in a way. It was kind of derivative of like a Latin kind of, you know, pattern. I thought it was just so cool. I was I was always drawn to that, you know. But again, those guys were like super clean players. They were probably session players that yeah. were in London that she, you know, somehow, you know, put all put these guys together and formed the band. Um, those records were great, you know. And I mean, and I have my my dad to thank for introducing me to that music because he used to make me all these mixtapes and stuff. Really? To practice to. That's yeah. cool. Yeah. So like. What were the mixtapes like? Was it? I mean, it could have been anything. I remember him making me stuff with like Charlie Daniels Band on it. Uh, you know, Charday, um stuff like Tower of Power. Um, so he really, he James really Brown, trained you to be a oh, versatile musician. Everything. Yeah. Everything. All kinds of like, like smooth jazz stuff that was like, you know, coming out at the time, like David Sanborn and, I mean. Um, Stuff like Tina Turner. I, mean, I can remember him going to the library, and you know he would get these records. He would, you know sign out the records from the library, and he would tape them, 
you know, he would yeah. analog tape them yeah, you know, yeah. on his tape deck. And then he would make me a tape. So know, it had like, all those snaps and pops on them. Yeah. 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 Um, you know, all kinds of stuff. Just, and then, you know, that combined with the fact that, like, I remember coming home from school and I'd get on the drum kit and I had a little boom box next to the drum kit with a, a set of uh, some real old school, like, over-the-ear type headphones so that I could hear the music I was listening to while playing the drums and not like hurt my ears, right? And I would just turn on FM radio and I would sit there maybe for like an hour or sometimes more even and just go up and down the dial, you know, and this is back when FM radio had like many stations that were not all owned by the same company, <laughs> yeah. you know, like, and so you'd get like a wide variety of music, you yeah. know, Rock, pop, R and B, country versus the same six. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Genres. Right. Same twenty artists. Yes. It wasn't like that back then, and so you could go up and down the dial and find any old thing, you know. And you know, it might be like a Whitney Houston thing, or an Eagles thing, or a you know Elton John, or it just in anything that I liked. Phil Collins was, was great, you know, big back then. And it, but anything that struck me as like, oh, that's that's a cool beat. I'm gonna. You know, and maybe it was something that I couldn't even play, but like, I'm going to learn how to play that and just kind of copy. I would copy everything. Copy, 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 copy. Like, like copy. Like, yeah. Copy. That's how you, that's how, that's how you have to learn is, yeah. is by, yeah. by, uh, replicating. Yeah. And that's, I think another thing that's important to, to kind of, uh, to kind of mention is in, in those formative stages, you're just going to be a be copying whatever you hear, but eventually you copy so much stuff and then maybe, you develop your own yeah, thing you that. develop your own thing and Hopefully, you become, yeah, yeah, yeah your I own mean, thing as a musician. That's right. But you know, so often, you know, let's, you know, and here we are like going full circle, you're going back to like education, music education. It's like, so often I see drummers and whoever else like trying to learn how to play out of a book and it's like, no, that doesn't work like that. It's a yeah, tool. Right. That you can get ideas and you can, you know, help you, know, you get information out of a book and it can be helpful for sure. But like when it comes down to like learning how to play like a groove by Steve Gadd or like, you know, let's, let's take like an iconic groove, like the song Rosanna, you know, by mm -hmm. Toto, which, you know, Jeff O'Carroll played drums on. Mm -hmm. And it's like, you know, to be able to play that, you, know, you can look at that groove on paper and go, hmm, okay, I think I got it. But, like, to make it feel like Jeff Porcaro did, gotta that's listen. a whole other thing, gotta, man. You gotta use your ears and you gotta feel it. And you gotta play along with the record and yeah. go, oh, am I, is my backbeat lining up where his is? And, I mean, just a feel, I mean, you know, that stuff isn't on paper, you know? Yeah. And so, I find that a lot of, you know, a lot of guys... You know, they want to learn how to play salsa, or they want to learn how to play jazz, or, you know, and it's like, okay, well, you can learn how to play, you know, a, a salsa groove, you know, like a, uh, what's, like a songo or something, you know what I mean? But until you hear, like, Dave Weckl play a songo, you're not going to know how to play a songo, yeah. you know, like, because that's, that's how you play a songo, you know, with attitude like that, you know, a certain amount of, like, whatever he brings to it, you know, or, or even something simpler, like a, like a blues shuffle, you know, I mean, you know, check out the way like Steve Jordan plays a shuffle, you know, like he's a great drummer. Yeah. He's one of my favorites, you know, but like, you ain't going to be able to play like Steve Jordan reading his transcriptions out of a book. No, nope, not going to happen. You have to understand the feel and the style. Right. So that's so much a part of it. And so that's why I think like, I, I mean, I didn't know all this stuff at the time when I was younger, but like, that's why it was, it was just so important for me to, to come home from school and just practice with, with, with radio and with records like that and just copy everything verbatim. That's what I'm talking about. Copy, like try to become the drummer that you're listening to or the, whoever, whatever instrument you're using know, the bass player, mm -hmm. you know, um, try to become that person you're hearing on the record. Like try to emulate their sound, try to, Try to tune your acts the way, you know, make your, try to get the tone that they get. Yep. You know, 
um, and it could be out of the touch, it could be the instrument choice itself, it could be on the drums, the, the tuning, maybe the snare drum is tuned up or tuned down mm -hmm. a certain way, or you know, hit, hitting the backbeat a certain way, or a certain ride cymbal, you know, uh, you know, all these things that you, you're not going to get out of a book. You know, books are great for learning and for figuring out stuff and, you know, but if you really want to learn how to play, you got to listen to records, play along with records, and then go out and play with real people. Yep. That's, you know, that's how I was brought up. Well, to close it out, I picked out a quote that I thought would be relevant today. So can you read that writing or is my handwriting too horrible for you to read it? All right. Be open to the possibility that rituals can restore your power. Rituals are the indispensable tool for nurturing our higher selves. Awesome. By Kenny Werner. Yes. Author of Effortless Mastery. Brian, thank you for coming on. I feel like this is very inspiring. Thanks I can't wait me. to share it. Yeah. <laughs>